I'll be packing my bags Leaving this town behind Soon I'll raise a new flag Claim the home that is mine Goodbye I won't be back for some time Someday I hope to come back this way As the story unfolds And we fear what might end Though one chapter is closed Still another begins Goodbye I won't be back for some time Someday I hope to come back this way Well, I want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, I know that uh, the weather outside is a little cool. It's always nice to come in out of the cold, and we hope that this would be a warm place. I want to welcome those who are in the venue this morning. Hopefully it's warm over there as well. If it's not, move closer to the person next to you. Uh, I'm grateful that uh, just for the chance to be with you and uh, get the chance to preach, we're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning, Genesis chapter 12. And it was just about uh, seven years ago, just a little under seven years ago, that uh, there was a major directional change in my life. I had uh, kind of been in one place for about 22 years, uh, actually a little longer than that. I had been a kind of a traveling musician and uh, kind of an itinerant speaker in a lot of different places. And uh, then all of a sudden I got a call. Uh, and uh, got a call from Rick Countryman, 
and he asked if I would consider coming to Modesto. And uh, he was the vehicle God used to move me into a different place. And it was kind of an interesting thing. I remember my wife and I felt like we were peering through a door, and as we were peering through that door, we looked on the other side, and it just looked a little bit intimidating, a little bit frightening, a little bit different. Uh, having grown accustomed so much to the life I was already living, uh, it was much simpler to think of that life than it was to think of changing and being somewhere else. It meant uh, uprooting, it meant... Uh, uh, kind of changing uh, relationships and starting a whole new set of relationships. So there were lots of different parts of that. And it seems that that uh, transition is still having effects on me. And that's just the way I think life is to some degree. And I think to some degree, uh, life is full of transitions. And we often find ourselves in the place in between that we call the threshold peering out beyond to see what lies ahead and wondering if we should step through and at times maybe feeling more inclined to turn back and go to what's familiar and to return to the things that are comfortable. But to some degree, these threshold experiences, we can't avoid. We can't ignore them. They're there. And we're not oftentimes just invited to step through we're actually pushed through by our circumstances and by time. And so you just can't get away from that fact that transition happens and that somehow on the other side there's something through that door that we're being pulled into. This morning I want us to look at this chapter in Genesis and I want to read it to you right now because hopefully we will discover this morning some markers, maybe some markers that will help us step through that threshold well and walk into the next place that God has for us. So let me read to you from Genesis 12, beginning with chapter or verse 1. It goes like this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on his west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. It seems to me that if we're going to step through the threshold well, it will be important to pay attention to some markers. Four markers in particular I want to talk about. Markers are significant when we take a journey. Uh, it's helpful to kind of pay attention uh, when you are moving along, uh, oftentimes they help us 
to stay out of the pitfalls, and sometimes they just give us good direction. Whatever the case, it's helpful to pay attention to the markers. Uh, I remember that uh, one time we were at a camp. I was speaking, and we had driven into this camp. It was in Washington. We were kind of out in the mountains, kind of near Mount Rainier. And I remember that we drove into the camp. We were in our wonderful Plymouth Voyager van, and my youngest daughter, who was about four years old at the time, looked out of the window as we drove in, and she saw all these horses kind of grazing in this area, and she loved, you know, animals. She just was attracted to them. And uh, so as she's watching these animals out the window, you could hear her in the back seat going, horsies, horsies, you know, and that was exciting. And the minute we stopped the car, she had opened the door and began to make a beeline for those horses. And it was impressive to me as I looked at these horses how well-trained they were because they all seemed to stay in the same area and not move. And there was no fence around them that I could see. But as I began to chase my daughter as she was running toward the horses, I felt a, you know, a 2,000-pound horse and a you know, 40-pound child weren't a good mix at that point in time. And so as I was chasing her, and she was fast, um, there was a voice that came from a man uh, standing nearby, and he said, by the way, you see that small, thin wire that's going around those trees, around the horses? And I looked, and I could barely see it, and I said, yeah? And he said, see that little yellow sign on there? And he says, that says 10,000 volts. And as my daughter was running, both hands extended, I thought, this will be the best perm she's ever had. (laughs) And at that point in time, you realized it was significant to pay attention to the markers. Significant to pay attention to those little signs there along the way. This morning, we want to talk about four such markers out of this text from uh, Genesis. And the first marker I want to talk about this morning is the marker of revelation. The marker of revelation. God reveals himself to Abraham out of all the other human beings. Abraham's role was to notice where God was revealing himself and to meditate there and then to respond to God in obedience. Abraham was not singled out for anything particular about him. The text doesn't really describe Abraham as some remarkable person. It just says that Abraham was spoken to by God. The text says the Lord said to Abraham, and we don't know really why the Lord chose him. It was God wanting to make himself known to all humanity, and for some particular reason, he chose to begin that process through this man named Abram. Abraham's responsibility was to recognize God's revelation through one particular place and in time. And he was to recognize that revelation as it came to him. And you see, that's our responsibility as well, to pay attention as God makes himself known. It's going on all around us all the time. Listen to what the psalmist says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You see, God is making himself known all around us. Each day of our lives we awaken to creation, and God is there 
Our task is simply noticing his presence in those places. Yet how often do we walk through life totally oblivious to the fact that God is present, that he is there making himself known? It's significant that not not only did God speak to Abraham, but it says also in verse 7 that he appeared to Abraham. And that word is significant because it's used to describe God's appearance, God's visible expression to Abraham. It was used when Abraham was greeted by three visitors when he was told about his son. It said the Lord appeared to him. It was used when Moses saw the burning bush and it was said that the Lord appeared to him. It is a Hebrew word that indicates something that is perceived visually. God shows up and Abraham's paying attention and responsive. Both his ears and his eyes are open to the Lord and focused on noticing God. The places God chose to reveal himself were diverse. It's interesting that they wasn't tied to any one country or people. He spoke to Abraham while he was in Ur of the Chaldees. He spoke to Abraham while he was in Canaan. Often gods were associated with different geographical areas so that people would kind of determine an area and say, this is the God of that area. But you see, it was different with Yahweh. Yahweh was the God that was not bound to any particular place, but is God over all the lands and all peoples. Abraham, like any of us, could watch and listen for God in a variety of places and in a variety of times. The point was that Abraham was paying attention as God revealed himself. And that made a difference. You see, God revealed himself to Abraham and it forever changed his life. When God reveals himself to you, what's happening? In the work of transformation, every time God reveals himself to us, it should change our lives. It should deepen our faith. Therefore, every opportunity to notice God and attend to his presence is a possible opportunity for transformation. I've been enjoying the the cloud formation since the season of rain has begun. It's fun to go outside and see them. And in them, I'm drawn into something that's expansive and beautiful. And somehow they remind me that God is near. The breeze as it moves the clouds reminds me that though my eyes may not perceive God, I can see his movement in and through my life. Ann Voskamp makes this statement about God's revelation. She says this, Pantheism, seeing the natural world as divine, is a very different thing than seeing divine God present in all things. I know it here kneeling, the twilight so still. Nature is not God, but God revealing the weight of himself, all his glory through the looking glass of nature. What are you seeing? What are you seeing as you awaken to this world that God has left his mark upon? My son and I spent the evening together last week. We went and saw uh, 
the, uh, the Hobbit in IMAX 3D. And I realized after the movie was over how small everything else seemed after seeing it in huge 3D IMAX film. And as we uh, were just about to go into the movie, we had gotten out of our car and we drove all the way over to Pleasanton to see it this particular way. And uh, we got out of the car and my son just turned to me and said, Dad, I love you. And I'm so glad we get to spend this time together. In that moment, God was reminding me in flesh and blood of his great love for me. Just a word. A word of love. Scripture says that God is love. And where those expressions comes up, come up, sometimes I'm just so busy with what's going on that I miss them. Where might God be speaking to you the word of love? Where might he be wanting to express to you his presence, reveal himself? I'm finding more and more that like Abraham, I want to notice and respond. Abraham, when God revealed himself, did just that. He noticed and responded. So the question is, where is God revealing himself in the course of your everyday life? Where is he showing up? Where are you finding God to be real around you? And are you noticing the fact that God is here? Where is he calling us to journey on and risk our lives to discover maybe a deeper faith? How are you practicing noticing God as he reveals himself to you? The writer of Hebrews says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through, through whom also he made the universe. You see, every time we get to see Jesus in the Gospels, we're confronted again with the presence of God. Every time we encounter Jesus in love, we are having God reveal himself to us again. Are you noticing? The second marker I want us to think about this morning is the marker of renunciation. Genesis 12 says this, as Abraham was spoken to, God said, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And then it says in verse 4, So Abraham went as the Lord told him. I watched my grandchildren this past Christmas, and I watched them uh, struggle between wanting to play with the brand new gift they had received and leaving it for the Christmas meal. Somehow, Pulling them away from that was a difficult challenge for them to make that choice to say, yes, I will come. It was one of those occasions where leaving something might be a little painful at the time, but ultimately was going to be beneficial to their life. You see, the renunciation of the former life is never easy. But it is always something that must be undertaken if we are to receive the life that God has for us. It's far more difficult to move on into the next place of God's blessing if we are still clinging to aspects of the old life that he's told us to release and to move on from. 
The early church teacher, John Cashin, described three primary renunciations that were necessary to growing in the life of God. The first was the renunciation of the former way of life, the life that we had lived before. The second was the renunciation of the thoughts about that former way of life. Some of you will recognize how difficult it is once you've said no to something then to move away from the thoughts about that thing. And it was interesting that in the desert fathers, they would move out into the desert to get away from the world. And they thought, that's what it's going to be. We're going to move away from all those things that are tempting us and destroying our focus on God. And when they got out to the desert, what they realized with all their thoughts about those things went with them. You might find that in your life, that the thoughts about the former way of life somehow are still part. And so Cashin was very smart in saying, we need to renounce those as well. The third renunciation was the, considered the renunciation of basically their thoughts about God so that they might experience God as he chose to reveal himself. These renunciation, the Desert Fathers believed, were essential to growing and maturing in the Christian life. What the Desert Fathers seemed to understand that was that every step toward God involves leaving something else behind. Abraham understood this as well. In fact, Abraham might have been described as the first real desert father. One thing Abraham would leave behind were the religious influences of the regions of Ur and Haran. Abraham's ancestors were descendants of Shem, one of Noah's sons. It seems that most of the races from the biblical account, traced their lineage back to Noah. And Noah, we know, was a godly man. It says that Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. But whereas Noah had a significant relationship with God, by the time of Terah, who was Abraham's father, it seems that humanity found its own propensity to exchange the true God for the gods of the region. Humanity, because of our brokenness, seems always to drift away from faithfulness to God. The regions of Ur and Haran were places associated with the worship of the moon god. It's interesting that the people of Abraham's family lived in a place where they worshiped the moon, which while giving the illusion of being a source of light, only reflects the source of light. You see, we're constantly exchanging the created for the creator, the reflections of light for true light. When we renounce the former things, we are renouncing as well our images and ideas about God that are false to embrace and follow what is true. All that was important for the people of Abraham's time had to do with family and land and property and descendants and all those ties Abraham was called to leave behind along with any of those religious influences that he might have adopted during the time in Ur er, uh, and Haran. When so much of the value of life centered on property or land or family, it was going to be difficult to pick up and leave those ties behind. But this is what God had asked of Abraham. As one commentator, commentator put it, this was not so much an invitation, but a royal summons 
I think it's easy to be like that monkey in the story who reaches into the gourd to grab the banana and then discovers that the only way to get his hand out is to let go of the banana. We are so easily clutching things that ultimately enslave us and keep us from moving on to the best of what God has for us. So what is it that God may be calling you to leave behind, to renounce and to follow him? What things may be holding you back from taking a further step of faith into the next place that God has for you? Where might God be calling you to renounce the former way of life or even the thoughts about that life? Jesus said it this way, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We need to keep in mind the marker of renunciation if we're going to move well into the next place. The third marker we need to respect is the marker of relationship. Genesis 12 says this, when God spoke to Abraham, he said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed because of you. God defines and promotes relationship. This relationship with God is defined by at least a couple of things, and I'm sure you could define it by many, but I'm going to share a couple this morning. First of all, it's a relationship defined by dialogue. I want you to notice that the chapter begins with God speaking to Abraham. It's the act of communication and covenant that characterizes relationship. God speaks to Abraham in covenant language, the language of relationship. But then I want you to notice that in verse 7, God again, after appearing to Abraham, initiates conversation and shares with Abraham his intentions. Then in verse 8, having arrived in a new place, it says, Abraham calls on the name of the Lord. And the interaction goes on between God and Abraham. One of the things that must characterize relationship with God is the dialogue between God and ourselves. I think for many of us, we've either forgotten that dialogue, we've forgotten that God is interested in having a conversation with us, or we've gotten so accustomed to the dialogue really just being a monologue that we're really not sure what God might be speaking anywhere along the way. You see, if we're going to have a dialogue with God, this means that we've got to listen for God's voice and then respond with our voice in relationship. If you assume that you're in relationship with God yet feel to have any communication with Him, I'm not sure I'd call it a very significant relationship. I'm not sure you would either. I traveled alone to South Africa a while back and I remember doing everything I could, being all the way around on the other side of the world, to find a place, a phone, where I could call my wife. And I was away for like three weeks. And I remember I was at a place that was kind of remote, but there was a phone. And I remember just the idea of calling her, hearing her voice, and telling her I loved her. 
was essential to my relationship with her. I had to connect. I had to communicate. And you see, I believe that God longs to have this dialogue with us. He longs to be in this relationship with us. And dialogue, that conversation with God, forms that relationship. And too often we allow ourselves to let the conversation slide. We become people that are alone, not realizing we live in the presence of a holy God who has chosen to make himself known and speak to us. The second thing that defines this relationship with God and Abraham is what the New Testament would describe as grace. It's that idea that's associated with one giving to another person generous gifts. In this case, God promised Abraham to make his name great and to give him a great nation. Rather than being a self-made man, Abraham was going to be a God-made man. He then went on to promise to bless Abraham. The Old Testament idea of blessing is, is special in the sense that it was associated with God. Always when they thought about blessing, it was going to be connected to God somehow. God was the source of blessings. And to be blessed was to be filled with the power for success and prosperity and fruitfulness. It is associated with a word that means to kneel. And I believe that that's the case because we're to receive the blessing of God in humility. We are to receive it in a stance of kneeling before him. It's not something that we can say we're entitled to. Blessing throughout Genesis in particular centers on the ideas of food and family. It was a, the blessing of children aligned to carry on the name. And God promised to bless Abraham and through Abraham to bless others. Not only was Abraham enabled to be in relationship with God, but he was also enabled to share that relationship with others. He was somehow going to be able to connect with them in a way that they could grasp and understand and begin to participate in relationship with God. Our lives need to be lived in such a way, in such a humility, that we're able to receive from God the blessing that he has for us. That we're able to receive the gift of relationship that he longs for us to have. And since blessing was associated with the giving of life, we need to be prepared to receive what God knows will best impart his life to us. Rather than the human effort of building a tower to the heavens, like we see in Genesis 11, the truth of the heavens descended down and God makes himself known at his initiative to humanity through Abraham. God gives to Abraham as a gift what Abraham might attempt to gain for himself. Relationship with God is always a gift. It's always a gift of grace where God graciously gives to us the blessing of his presence and provision. All that humanity had sought to do to make a great name, God gave to one man as a gift. God also defines a whole set of relationships that Abraham probably could never have imagined. Back in chapter 11, it talks about Sarah and says that she was barren. She was unable to have children. So when God says to Abraham, you're going to have offspring, I'm sure that that was a bit of news to him. 
probably a little bit confusing, and yet God follows through with that promise later on in the book of Genesis, that Abraham was going to know relationships that he could have never imagined. Within the relationship with God, Abraham would experience the blessing of God. So never were those blessings something that he could earn or manufacture. They were gifts from God because the fact is that God is giving. And out of the relationship with God, Abraham himself would become a blessing to others. God's giving would find extension to all humanity through this one man, through Abraham. And that's the same kind of relationship that God longs to have with each of us. He pursues more than just a casual encounter with us. He pursues something more than just a fire insurance policy that we keep hidden away somewhere. He desires deep and intimate relationship. And we're invited into the next place this year with that sense of encounter with the Lord, to encounter Him more. I think one of my greatest gifts that my children have given me is the gift of relationship. Uh, they still seem to enjoy being with me, which is remarkable to me. And I remember uh, my wife was in Southern California uh, a few weeks ago, and I was in the house alone, which is a rare occasion in our home. And it was quiet, which is even rarer in our home. And as I sat there in my kind of that quiet moment, and I was actually kind of enjoying it to some degree, I was doing a few little things around the house, and all of a sudden I got a call from my daughter. My oldest child calls me on the phone, and she says, uh, your son and your other daughter, we all want you to come over and have dinner with us tonight. And they were there with all their families, all my grandchildren were there, and they said, come and join us for dinner. And I thought, how amazing that my children would still pick up the phone and look out for me. I'm sure they thought I was starving to death there in the house somewhere. I'd have forgotten how to actually make food, prepare it. But they give me that relationship to imagine for a moment that God invites us to a meal with him every day of our lives. He longs to be in relationship with us. He longs to know us. longs to, for us to experience his goodness. My youngest daughter, Katie, and her husband uh, came and spent Christmas with us, and they brought their child. His name is Wallace, and he's an 85-pound boxer. And uh, they have uh, wanted my wife and I to kind of get to know the dog, and that's been a great thing. And so Wallace and I have been bonding. <laughs> Wallace has a few issues, though. He is uh, really not sure he's discovered yet the whole idea of personal space yet. So all space is Wallace space, as far as he is concerned. And when you have an 85-pound dog, even his tail wreaks havoc wherever he goes. And so if he's happy to see you, it can re be very destructive because the tail just wags and knocks things off tables and all sorts of things. And in that, I realized that how amazing it is to have this relationship with this big dog. And how amazing it is to think of the God of the universe stooping down to have relationship with me. And how amazing it is that God would reach into each of our lives 
to say, I long to be with you. So how are you experiencing relationship with God now? How is the dialogue going? How's that conversation? Are you listening? Are you hearing God's voice? Are you responding? Are you sharing with him what your life is like as he shares all of his life with you? How might relationship with God prepare you as a vehicle to share that same relationship with others? How might you experience relationship and blessing from God in such a way that you can be an extension of that blessing to those around you? How might this marker of relationship cause you to be a marker in the lives of others? The final marker we need to respect is the marker of rhythm. In verse 7 it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. One of the things that I think is impressive here is that Abraham marked the trail of his journey with altars that signified his encounter with God. They not only signified it, but they also solemnized that relationship with God. They were intentional places and with an intentional purpose. The word altar actually comes from a root word that means gift. And they characterized a place where the gift of life and relationship with God could be celebrated. It was the designated intentional meeting place between God and Abraham, that place of altar. And it's interesting that whereas in Genesis 11, humanity made it, tried to make a name for themselves by building a tower to God, Abraham built an altar to call on God's name. The same Hebrew word is used in both places to describe that building process. And whereas the tower was built with human-produced bricks and mortar, the altar Abraham built was built out of the ordinary stuff of rock and earth. You see, Abraham was interested in setting a rhythm in his life, a rhythm that celebrated his encounter with God. He built altars. One of the ways in the ancient times of establishing the authority of a new presence, a new religious presence in an area, was through the building of altars. Each of the places Abraham built altars became centers of worship for the life of Israel in later times. Each of the altars, in a sense, set boundaries within Canaan that defined that land as God's space that said, this is a place that God dwells. This is a place that God is in authority. But it also established the regular attentiveness of, to God that would characterize Abraham's life and sustain him through his journey. In the establishing of altars, Abraham created space to meet with God. What kind of space are you creating to meet with God? 
What kind of rhythms are you establishing to meet with God? Macrina Wiedeker says this about the creation of space. She writes, to further illustrate the purpose of this book, I want to share with you a memory. Long ago, when I was learning to type, I used to delight in typing letters to my friends without pressing the space bar. Now, when you don't press the space bar, you've got a real mess, and there is much decoding to be done. It is the spaces in between that enable us to understand the message. Life is very much the same. It is the spaces in between that help us to understand life. But you see, some of us keep forgetting to press the space bar. Somehow in the rhythms of our life, we can move through so quickly that we forget to establish those spaces where we can encounter God. Abraham was careful to erect these altars that he might meet with God and call on the name of the Lord. In Genesis 13, 18, just a chapter beyond, another altar-building occasion is described. It's here that we finally see Abraham settling down. He's been moving a lot up to this point. And the place he chooses to settle is next to the altar of encounter with the Lord. It seems that Abraham wants to worship God where he lives and live where he worships. In a sense, the lines between worshiping God and living life have blurred until they're associated together. In a sense, all of life became worship to Abraham. And all of us like Abraham because God in His grace allows us to receive Him and receive the presence of His Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to define all of life as worship as well. Whether we are at a job, whether we're at home, whether we're driving in the car, whether we're on vacation, or whether we're in the sanctuary. Abraham had discovered what it meant to see all of life as a place that was influenced by God's presence. And he had particular rhythms that helped him pay attention to that presence. The question is, what are the intentional rhythms that will assist you in noticing God and his presence on a regular basis throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout a month or throughout the new year? What particular God rhythms will you establish as you step into this new year? You see, I think we have some possible ways of maybe marking our journey, establishing some altars. For some of you, maybe the, the place of rhythm Maybe that place of pause, that place of creation of space to hear God's Word might just be the fact that you show up next week to this service. Then you make a commitment to be here and, and be here for the new series that's going to begin on leadership in the book of Nehemiah. For some of you, it might be uh, showing up early in the morning on Mondays and Wednesdays and being in the altar with a group of people just enjoying morning prayer. 
and listening for the Lord's voice together. For some of you, it might be doing that daily meditation page, or for some of you, it might be simply just setting a time aside each day to just be in the Scriptures and pray. Some particular time, intentional space created that God might fill it with His presence. What else might you have to sacrifice to offer that time to the Lord? You see, all these things are just ways that we make space to notice God in our life. All these places of rhythm are significant to our life because without this kind of intentional space, we often will miss God. We'll oftentimes miss the fact that He shows up in His glorious presence to give us more of Himself, to show us more of the mystery, to express more of His great love for us, to allow us to enjoy that relationship even more. Don't miss the opportunity to enjoy that presence that God longs to bestow on you. In the book Thoughts Matter, Margaret Funk says, when my practices are in rhythm, my proficiency will protect me as a shield. You see, when we practice and we really understand what it means to set rhythm in our life that attends to God, we begin to understand that those practices begin to form our lives more than the former life practices enslave us. We have a great opportunity. We enter a new year. And the question is, how are you going to enter the new year? Are you going to pay attention to the markers? Are you going to respect those markers that God lays out along the way that you might make the journey well? Are you going to pay attention and respect that marker of revelation? The fact that noticing God is an opportunity we have each moment of each day. Are you going to respect that marker of renunciation where maybe you're holding on to something right now? You're holding on to something that God's saying you need to let go that you might receive more fully what I have for you in the next place. And maybe you need to respect the marker of relationship that says you're in that conversation, that dialogue with God, and you're open humbly before him, receiving the gift of blessing he longs to give to you. Or maybe it's just that you need to respect the marker of that, of rhythm. That somehow your life, the music of your life has lost that rhythm. And it's an amazing thing that rhythm becomes very significant in music. That without that rhythm, somehow music just becomes noise. And yet where we begin to see that rhythm, where we begin to feel that rhythm, where we begin to live that rhythm, the music of life comes alive. As you step into this new year, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to pay attention. The one who goes before you actually is standing in the threshold with you to walk through and to accompany you into the next place. Pay attention. 
Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the fact that as we stand on the threshold, you are there. And you look with us into the next place that you have prepared for us, inviting us, compelling us, nudging us through that we might further experience the life you have for us. May we respect the markers that you've laid out for us. May we pay attention. May we notice all that you long to do in us and through us as we journey with you. Lord, we pray this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, God bless you and have a great 2013 as you move into this new year. May you sense his presence.